feel like in a solar eclipse. Somebody would turn on the lights. I'd be actually able to see who, guys, you are. It's Father's Day, so uh, this morning I'm going to talk to you. Wow, that makes all the difference. I know you. I'm going to talk to you from the subject, like a father, like a father. If you were here uh, several weeks ago, uh, you may remember it was Mother's Day, and I preached from a similar subject. It was like a mother. Now, if you remember that, you're phenomenal, because that's been a few weeks ago. But I think fathers deserve their share of the story, so uh, this message today is going to be like a father. It's been a little while, uh, I watched a video on mass shootings in the United States. And there was a researcher who was trying to trace the uh, common factor he was trying to understand what may be some of the characteristics in common of mass shootings, especially what these mass shooters may share in common. And of course, you know, the uh, mental health, emotional issues are some of the most obvious factors. But looking at all the data and everything that he's analyzed and interviewed and uh, explored, the researcher suggested that the unnoticed factor that is widespread among mass shooters was the lack of a stable father figure. The lack of a stable father figure. In the last few decades, the image of the father has undergone uh, very serious transformations. The way we understand manhood and fatherhood has taken uh, many different new directions. In fact, unfortunately today, as you think of uh, fatherhood and manhood of a man and a father, very often you associate it with absence and with abuse. Story after story emerge from almost forgotten past of grown-ups who tell of trauma that they suffered in the hands of a father, an uncle, a sports coach, a man. Now, one of the things that uh, we realize is that once you're a parent, you remain a parent for your whole life. For some of us, uh, the parenting of young children is already a past stage. We you, some of you already on the grandparenting stage. For others, like for me and my wife, uh, we're right in the middle of the mess. In one way or another, uh, we have experienced that parenting is just not easy. I haven't met a person so far that will say, oh yeah, that's a piece of cake. And one thing that is an indication about this is there are so many books on parenting out there. What's that telling you? That there are big questions that need to be answered and addressed. More and more books are being published. Each book looking at different aspects, trying to answer difficult questions. A lot of times answering one question and raising many more questions. 
I think we realize there is not a universal answer as to how to be a good parent, how to best raise your children and grandchildren. But this morning, I want us to look at uh, three things a father and a grandfather can do for their children and grandchildren. Three things from the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul. And I know some of you are already thinking, well, wait a minute. Paul wasn't even married. He never had children. And I would commend you for that because that's absolutely true. You're right. But in his life and ministry, the Apostle Paul developed a father-child kind of relationship with the people he trained in the Christian faith. Paul himself talks about that in some of his letters, in the letter of, uh, that he sends to the Thessalonians in particular, the Christ followers in the city of Thessalonica. Several weeks ago when uh, I delivered that message on Mother's Day, like a mother, I took the first part of that passage and I was tempted to wrap it up, but I knew Father's Day was coming up, so I thought I keep it specifically for today, so today we can get the whole picture of what Paul is trying to tell us. And so we're going to look at those two brief verses from the letter of the Apostle Paul to the Thessalonians. We're going to draw our reflections from that text and look at what Paul has to tell us this morning. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we can look at verses 11 and 12. I'm going to start with 11 in just the first portion of uh, verse 12. It says this, For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you. Like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you. Like a father, Paul and his co-workers in mission cared for the Thessalonians by exhorting them. Just to put a little perspective into what's going on there, uh, I think I mentioned this a little bit several weeks ago, but that's going to give us a bigger picture. Uh, Paul, Timothy, and Silas, his co-workers, and maybe a few more, were going through Thessalonica on what is called Paul's second missionary trip. Paul would go around and visit different places and share the good news of Jesus with people. He would typically have a team to go with him. And this was his second trip. So they come to Thessalonica and they share the good news. And a number of people believe in Jesus and become Christ followers. But before long, some opponents of the Christian faith rose up against Paul and the local believers. And so, as it turns out, Paul most probably had to leave earlier than he planned. A few months later, Paul sends Timothy back to Thessalonica to check on those young believers. Already there, in the facts of the story itself, the events that happened we see Paul's concern, his care. He is uh, not just going from place to place and telling people about Jesus and forgetting about them. In fact, 
he thinks about them. He wants to know how they're doing, although he's gone. And so that makes him send Timothy back to Thessalonica to check on those young believers. And Timothy returns with good report. Some of the basics of the Christian faith, but also to commend the Thessalonians for their faith, for their perseverance, the fact that they continue in the faith that they have received from him and his co workers. And he says that he and his team cared for them like a father by exhorting them. The Thessalonians were in a difficult situation because of the hostility of the other citizens uh, around them. They were threatened. Uh, most probably their lives were in danger because of their faith in God. But Paul and his team stood by them and exhorted them. What does it really mean to exhort? What is exhortation? It's kind of an abstract word a little bit. Well, one thing that comes to mind... Uh, is that uh, Paul was uh, with them like a father. He came alongside them and helped them grow in their understanding of God. It is that physical presence, physical presence of the father that a lot of children have missed in their lives. A lot of children are missing today the physical presence. We're used to uh, being very busy with all kinds of things, and then uh, we've come up with this idea of uh, setting up or setting aside special moments uh, for our children that we have come around to call quality time. And don't get me wrong, that's, that's a good time. I, I haven't quite figured out what quality time means. I don't know what unquality time would be. It's time or no time, I guess. But, uh, you know, some of you who travel to visit maybe grandkids and uh, kids uh, in Pennsylvania and all kinds of states, like even in Minnesota, that impossible place on earth, uh, Kathy and Tom just came back to us and they're going back, but they'll be back, so that's good. Uh, but when they come back, they tell us, you know, how, how precious that time is because it's limited. They know they have so many days or so many weeks and they try to do their best to spend as much time as possible, the best way possible. Uh, Kathy was telling me when uh, they start coming down and the last day with the grandkids, they do something very special and uh, so it would look like they're leaving and it's, it's kind of fun because they'll be back and all that so the kids wouldn't be uh, really uh, so sad about it. But we try to do this as uh, what we've come around to call quality time. But friends, even beginner counselors or psychologists will tell you that uh, kids don't need just quality time, that they need quantity time, quantity time. Only when you are present with your children and grandchildren you're able, you're able, you have this opportunity to build an ever-growing relationship. An ever-growing relationship. And it's in that relationship that a child and a grandchild 
recognizes in you the father or the grandfather. There's something to step on. It's a foundation for them to really know who you are and trust you for who you are. That's the foundation on which you can step and speak into their lives. Come alongside them. Encourage them in their life, in their spiritual journey. It's in that relationship. So quantity does matter, not just quality. You know, children and grandchildren are vulnerable. They face difficulties. If they believe in God, often they encounter, uh, they face opposition uh, in school, in college, on the street, at their workplace, because of their faith. But you can be there alongside them and exhort them like a father. Like a father. As I'm thinking about this, I just remember this. Uh, it's almost like a snapshot from my own childhood. Uh, I should say it's probably like a, a very short YouTube video. Uh, no YouTube at the time. But I remember learning how to ride a bicycle without the training wheels. Maybe some of you have had a similar experience. It was a miracle in, on its own that I had a bicycle, you know, back in... Uh, Eastern Europe during communism, uh, it was hard to get a bicycle. But my parents had managed, they figured out the way, so I had a bicycle. And I was uh, going with the training wheels, and there came the day when my dad had decided that the time has come. And so he took those training wheels. And it's, uh, it's like as if it happened yesterday. It's so uh, fresh in my uh, memory. We were there on the street, on the pavement. Not many cars at the time. You could ride a bicycle, no problem. And we were right there a little bit towards one uh, side of the street, towards the sidewalk. And I'm getting ready. I'm holding on. But I have my dad right beside me, right behind me. And he's talking to me. And he's telling me what to do. He's telling me how to do it. Not only that, but his strong hand is holding that saddle from the back, from underneath. And so, off we go. I start pedaling, and we start moving slowly, and I still hear his voice. And I feel how he's helping me keep that balance, because he's holding my bike. He's there with me. He's alongside me. And as we start going, I'm gaining a little bit of speed. And he keeps going faster and faster. Then he starts running a little bit. And I still know he's right there. And I can do it. Up to the moment where I feel he releases that saddle and I keep going. And I try once and I try twice, three times, four times, and then I'm going. I had a similar experience about, uh, I guess, a little over a year ago with my boy, pretty much doing the same thing. This is what the Apostle Paul did for the Thessalonian believers. He and his team were like a father by coming alongside, by exhorting those Thessalonians. That's the first thing Paul tells us. There's a second thing. 
It's closely related to the first. Paul says that like a father, he and his team encouraged or comforted them. Again, verse 11 and part of verse 12, he says, For you know, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you. The Greek word here is translated differently. You may have it as uh, encourage or comfort. But in any case, uh, children need to be encouraged. A lot of times they're not sure that they can make it. A lot of times they're hesitant about learning, about growing, about developing. They need someone to encourage them like a father. Just like that little boy who said to his father, Daddy, let's play darts. I'll throw and you say, wonderful. You know, I experienced that with my boy. He loves soccer. He likes running. You, you figure that out. Uh, but we go to the playground or, you know, the soccer field and uh, he, he loves it. He kicks the ball. He's, he's getting good at it. But he kicks the ball, and the more he kicks, and I say, that was good. That was a good kick. Oh, that was good corner there. Yeah, right in the corner. Oh, I got to tell you, he's shining. He's doing better and better and better and better. And God forbid I turn my eyes in a different direction. He reminds me right away. He's like, Daddy, look. Look what I'm doing here. Like a father. Paul and his team encouraged the Thessalonian believers by speaking words to them that would help their faith and confidence in God to grow. Someone has said, flatter me and I might not believe you. Criticize me and I may not like you. Ignore me and I may not forgive you. Encourage me. And I will not forget you. With words of encouragement, Paul brought comfort to these young believers. And this is what our children and grandchildren also need. To be encouraged. To be comforted. When they're not strong enough. When they're facing adversity in life. When they are about to make important decisions in life. Many years ago, I was wrapping up my first education, I should say. I was at the university back in uh, Bulgaria, uh, lived in the capital, and for a few years, I uh, rented a room, the roommate, from a landlord very close to the university. And... uh, This man was a a, a wonderful guy. He had suffered quite a bit during communism. Uh, His father was, in fact, uh, the superintendent or kind of the boss of the Methodist denomination, the Methodist church in the whole country. And under communism, his father, his brother were arrested, put in prison. So my landlord was a little child at the time. He suffered quite a bit, and his, uh, his mama and his whole family suffered quite a bit during that time because of their faith in God. He was a humble man. After communism fell apart and 
uh, things changed. Somehow he managed to send his two sons, his own sons, uh, abroad to study. One went to Austria and studied there and remained and lived and worked there. And the other came to the United States, studied here, some business, whatever his degree was, and then got into business, um, uh, prospered uh, incredibly, became a very wealthy man. He owned properties in Manhattan. That's where he worked. Uh, he was working for some major uh, financial institutions, or I don't exactly know, but uh, he was a well-to-do man, and uh, he would talk to his dad. He'd call on the phone, and they'd talk. My landlord would come to New York um, and spend a few months, then come back. But it was interesting. He would share with me how his son from Manhattan, New York City, would give him a call every time he had an important decision to make. Now, friends, uh, my landlord was uh, very much aware that there was nothing he could bring to the table. He was not a man of business or any big enterprise. He had lived during communism. He had worked a very uh, mundane and ordinary job. He had no experience in business or making any financial decisions or moves. He'd never worked for a big company. When he had to, all the time, when he had to make a business decision, when he had to uh, think about something, when he had to move or do something related to his work, and ask him, what do you think, Daddy? A grown-up man would call someone to the other side of the world to ask for his opinion, and he had none. My landlord told me, I really... <laughs> Never felt I could give any advice. What do I know? And so I, he says, I, I always would say, well, son, you're a grown-up man. I'm sure you, you'll make the right decision. My landlord, he knew exactly why his son would be calling. And probably the son, unconsciously, was seeking advice that he really didn't expect to receive. I'm sure he was calling more to hear the voice of his father, to hear some words of encouragement, to hear some words that would comfort him, that would tell him that he is not alone, that there's someone with him, even on the other side of the world. Like a father, Paul exhorted and encouraged the Thessalonian believers. And then finally we learn a third thing that Paul did for them. Like a father, he and his team charged them. He urged them to live a life worthy of God. Here's what he says. Again, verses 11 and 12. For you know how, like a father with his children... We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in the manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. We charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. You know, parents want to do the best for their children. We, went, we want to provide for them the best conditions. 
I can attest to this. I lived under communism. I had very little. Uh, it was a very interesting time in history. Uh, now having a child in a Western country, I'm eager to think that I want to provide for him and make for him everything possible, all the things that I never could enjoy and have as a child. And sometimes, you know, I catch myself, you know, at Walmart or another store just looking at those little matchbox uh, cars, something that it was almost impossible to obtain when I was little because it came from the Imperial West. I want to buy for him a few. I, I want to buy a thousand just because I had a two or three of them. It's so difficult to even get to those. We want to do our best. We want to provide the best conditions. We all have ambitions for our children and grandchildren. <laughs> I talked to some of you. You come from a trip to Pennsylvania or Minnesota or something, and uh, I can sit there and listen for a day how great your grandchildren are, how well they performed that uh, play or uh, that soccer game or something. You know, how, how they played the violin and almost killed everybody's ears, but it was beautiful. We want our kids and grandkids to develop, to learn, to perform, to succeed, to get on a good track in life, family, and work. We are eager to invest in them. Anything that it takes in that process. Soccer moms are ready to go to the end of the world to see their kids win a game. Baseball dads would kill, you know, to see their kids score. Sometimes I think we get carried away with our ambitions. Just go on Facebook. You see what parents are posting. Look at my kid doing this and that. Look at my kid, whatever. Sometimes we invest disproportionate amounts of money, of time, energy in our children just so we can see them do well in life. And most of the time it's so we can see them do better than we did ourselves and do better than everybody else. But if there is one thing that we often forget or put on the back burner, it is to help them learn how to live a godly life. How to live a godly life. Friends, sometimes we major in minors. Fathers face a big challenge in this. We tend to leave that calling to train our children in God's ways we leave that calling to our wives. We think that's their job, their priority. We often fail to provide that leadership in our homes, especially to our children. We abdicate from our duty, from our God-given calling, to set an example, to help our children learn about God, learn how to live the life of a Christ follower. When's the last time that we ourselves picked up a book or the scripture and sat with our children or grandchildren and we read with them? We explained to them God's word. We talked to them about God to help them learn who God is, what God has done for all of us. 
The Apostle Paul says that like a father, he and his team urged the Thessalonian believers to live well before God. He demonstrated it for them when he was with them. He demonstrated to them what it means to be a follower of Jesus. He taught them the step-by-step -step instructions for a godly life. I feel like I've said this like a hundred times in different messages, but I want to remind you that uh, as we read even through the book of Acts, a lot of times we are left with this false impression that the Apostle Paul goes on these trips and just hops from one place to another and just tells people about Jesus and then moves on. And nothing's further from the truth. What the Apostle Paul did, he would go to a place and he would spend as much time as possible sharing the good news, but then staying with those young Christians and Christ followers and teaching them, helping them in their initial steps in the faith. And then ultimately, he would put someone in charge to take care of them when he's gone. And only then he would move on. In fact, if you follow the story through the book of Acts, and you read some of the letters where Paul describes some of his experiences, uh, you would see that uh, there's locations where he actually spent very significant amounts of times. I believe it was in Ephesus that he spent probably a total of two years. That's a very different picture about the ministry and the life of the Apostle Paul and his focus and his philosophy of how he did ministry and how he preached and how he shared the good news and how he took care of those that he reached out to. But he gave them the example right there when he was with them. He exhorted them. He encouraged and comforted them. And he taught them and led them in God's ways. I'll take it one step further before I'm done. I think our life as Christ's followers is like the life of a child, but also like the life of a parent. When we first come around and God transforms our hearts and we turn to God in faith and turn away from our sinful past, when we commit our lives to Jesus and submit to His Lordship, the Bible describes our experience as being born again or being born as a child, as if you were like a spiritual baby, a spiritual child. And the truth is that spiritual children need spiritual fathers. So my question would be, as you look into your own life, who is the person or the people that play that role, not in the past only, but today. Who are those people that play that role of a spiritual father in your life? Is there such a person? I think for a lot of us, the answer is no. I have the privilege and opportunity to travel, to visit different churches, not just in South Carolina, but also in other places around the States. And that is one of the most common things I discover as I talk to pastors, as I interview other missionaries. It is that very few people 
are ever discipled. Very few people have anybody to speak into their lives, to lead them in God's ways as they're trying to grow in the Christian faith. It's just a reality. It's a very sad reality. So my question is, who is that person? Who is pouring life into your life like a father? In my own life, I, I have a pastor friend who is up in the Charlotte area. He took me under his wing when I was halfway through seminary. That's when we met. And uh, he's become like a spiritual father to me. Even now that uh, we're back to the beach, uh, we would talk on the phone all the time. We'd spend time when I'm in the Charlotte area. We'd spend time together. He has me share in his church when I'm up there. We talk about life and everything under the sun, about ministry. He shares some of his experiences. He checks on me, how I'm doing, what's going on in my own life. He's become like a father. Pastor George has played that role for me as well. We met in seminary, one of our first classes, and we started going to seminary together, driving in his SUV. We got in a car accident together. We were T-boned and all that. We had those experiences. And we had the opportunity to talk and spend all this time together. Talk about ministry, about God's kingdom, about the church. He had a lot more experience in church ministry and kingdom ministry. My other question is, uh, is there anybody in your own life that you would consider yourself as being a spiritual father too? Are you pouring your life into someone else's life as a spiritual father? Something to think about. That's what the Apostle Paul did. I came across some statistics a while ago um, it said that the percentage of American teenagers who say they want to be like their parents, 39%. In other words, out of 10 teenagers, six would not want to be like their parents. What's that telling us? More than a half do not want to resemble their parents. I think it's an invitation for us as individuals, but also as a community of Christ followers to consider where we are. If you do not have anybody to pour into your life, pray, find someone, ask someone if they would become your accountability partner or if they would pour some life into your life. If they would provide some guidance for you, help you grow in the faith. And if you look into your life right now and you see that uh, you live this Christian life, life of a Christ follower, just for yourself, then ask yourself, who might be someone around me that I can pour my life into? That I can invest my time and effort so I can help them on their spiritual journey? 
For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you, and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Amen.